Welcome to Full Court Press, the podcast where two basketball fanatics think we would definitely be better as coaches than basketball players. <laughs> LOL. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Felix. All right, guys, before we dive into this episode, quick shout out to all you listeners so far. Like, we are ecstatic with the amount of feedback we've been getting and for, you know, all the engagement we've been receiving on Instagram. And feel free to follow us on Instagram at fullcourtpress.to, which you can find in the episode description. And make sure to subscribe and download episodes wherever you listen to your shows. We are on episode 17. Let's get it. This episode's NBA fact is according to a 2019 article from moneypenny.com. You know, note that obviously these numbers are from a different season and have nothing to do or have have no relation that like reflects to this season alone. The average win in the NBA will cost an NBA team $118,504 toward their coach's salary. So you're saying so every time every time the home team wins? Then one hundred eighteen thousand dollars goes to the coach, like any win. The average also, win. even 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 if it's a if it's a weight coach. What yeah, the man. Fuck? Interesting. Yeah, I think yeah. When this article got released, like the only coach that they showed that hit like a whole number was Rick Carlisle, two hundred k. Two hundred k, a win. Two hundred k a win. God damn. Yeah, that's not bad. Because I know Greg Popovich right now. I think is like the highest paid coach in the NBA this season, I think with like $11 million or something, but deservedly so though. Right. Yeah, yeah man. God damn. 200 K for a win. That's, that's See, imagine, imagine like, yeah, imagine you're a head coach for your coaching. Minutes. Exactly. You're coaching like, I don't know the Charlotte Hornets or the Sacramento Kings or even the Cleveland Cavs. Cause they're all shitty teams for the most part. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? We're going to get this W, but guess what? I'm getting this money in my pocket. You know? Yeah, but I feel bad for those coaches that never like, look. I'm pretty sure Greg Popovich is, is is fucking rolling in money, bro. How many? I think it was like 15, 16 straight seasons where he won fifty games at least. Yeah, right. God damn, do the math. Yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, oh my god. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, man. All right. So today I'm the one who's gonna do the daily affirmation, and it's from our boys. Or girls, third eye thoughts. And here's what they have to say. I am beyond blessed. My life is about to change for the better very soon. The universe is blessing me with my prayers and is sending me exactly what I'm asking for. So I don't know whoever needed to hear that, but I'm glad you heard it because you never know. You know, little things like that can change your mood. It yes, changed sir. My, it changed my mood when I read that. I'm like, yes, sir. Because you know all my plans this year, right? So, you know, that's something good to read. Yo, man, I actually really like this. I am beyond blessed. My life is about to change for the better very soon. The universe is blessing me with my prayers and is sending me exactly what I'm asking for. Like, as a self-motivation tool, that shit is like top-notch, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, sometimes you don't even know you have to hear it, right? Sometimes you're just in that mood and and this just shit pops up on your screen or you just listen to it and you're like, fuck, thank you, you know? And I want to tell you, you're welcome. And thank you, third eye. <laughs> thank you, third eye thoughts. You know. Oh yeah, third eye thoughts are are on point with when they put up stuff. You know, so please, guys, follow them. NBA coaches are the ultimate anchor in keeping teams together. They are the embodiment of what would execute well on the court, both offensively and defensively. 
And, you know, groundbreaking coaches such as Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich are without a doubt the best of the best in the NBA. But what about other great coaches that never tasted a championship? In this episode, Felix and I will discuss just one NBA coach that we feel, you know, never won a championship and never won that NBA title. But before we dive in, let's just quickly talk about this year's or this season's coaches in the NBA. Felix, who do you who do you like or who would you want to have as a coach? Uh, you know, let's not let's just take out the obvious because I think everybody who whoever watches ball, everybody would have picked Greg Popovich, right? Mm-hmm. Who I like, man, I like Quinn Snyder. He's been doing a fun. Well, you know what? He's been doing a good job since he's been coaching for Utah. But correct me if I'm wrong. He actually was on the coaching staff with Greg Popovich, right? I think so. I think so. Now look at that. Look at that trend because. Whoever's on his coaching staff always ends up being a great coach. I think the the latest example would be Mike Budenholzer when he when he coached that really good Hawks team. Like he he was doing a tremendous job with them, and now look what he's doing with the Bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So we even had a chance to almost get him too, right? And I would have loved him to. Ha- I would have loved to have him, but I like my Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse is also a great coach. I like coaches where that you know, you know when LeBron gets his coaches and. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to get a knock on LeBron, but because LeBron is already on a whole other IQ. He knows the game at this point, right? But he never had a great coach. So sometimes he gets the, the or he gets portrayed as running the team, right? I like, and then he's the one who's like, oh, I, you know, superstars always get the, not, not him, but you know, sometimes superstars demand to just run everything through him or run everything. Every play has to be around him. Um, I like coaches where it's not, it's selfless when it's a team basketball. Greg Popovich does that perfectly. I think Quinn Snyder does that really well. Mike Budenholzer does that really well. And Brad Stevens and Eric Spolstra. I just named you four coaches right there. But I'm leaning towards Brad Stevens. Because people think he's people might think that he's he's having like a shitty year this year. Um, I think it's just people f- tend to forget how young these kids are. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, right? But people tend to forget how bro, he led Boston to a number one seed with Isaiah Thomas. And his next best player was what? Marcus Smart. And then Kelly Olynyk was on that team. Amir Johnson was on the starting lineup. That's underrated, bro. To lead that team. And LeBron was still in the East, right? He's a very young coach. Him and Eric Spolstra are like, I think one of the greatest, youngest coaches right now. And I really, really hope they have a really long time, a long career. Because especially Eric Spolstra, I, I feel like he might be the next young Greg Popovich. I was thinking the exact same thing. Because look at the squad he has right now. He has, he doesn't have like a bonafide superstar, right? Jimmy Butler, I don't, I wouldn't put him as a bonafide superstar. He's just a bonafide hustler, you know. He will out hustle a superstar, like you know those 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 phrases where like talent can only get you so far, but hard work beats talent all the time. And that's the, the like that's the essence of Jimmy Butler. And honestly, that's the essence of that whole team, right? That's the essence of Exposure. If you know Exposure, he started from uh, film, like he was the one who was getting the film ready for the for the team uh, back like back in the day. I think even when Pat Riley was even coaching. So his journey going up, I think coincides how well Miami Heat team is right now, right? He got lucky, you know, what first, his third year or second year, he coached LeBron, James Dwayne Wayne and Chris Bosh, right? And everybody dismissed him as being a, a great coach, but look what he's been doing ever since. You gotta give credit what's credit due. So who I like right now will be Eric Spolstra at the top and I'll put Brad Stevens as well. I'm pretty sure Brad Stevens might. I like. I think he's missing like one or two pieces, right? 
Um, and then I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is just going to grow with the system. Right? They're still young, bro. Take that in. Jason Tatum's like 22, 23. Jalen Brown's 24. They're not even at their peak. Right? The other day, Jason Tatum dropped 53. Yeah. Yeah. So after after those 2K ratings. Yeah. After those 2K ratings, you know, those <laughs> young guys don't like when their 2K ratings drop, you know? Every time I think of 2K ratings, I always think of like Hassan Whiteside. Hassan, Remember that? It was Hassan Whiteside, bro. When he was in the heat, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I'm trying to get my 2K rating up, man. That was funny. Yeah. No, but what about you, man? Like, obviously, I saw your reaction. I know you agree with me with Eric Spolstra, but is there anybody else? Because I think, I think you were kind of yeah, surprised man, that like, Brad Stevens. I'm gonna, I'm, I'll, I'll give you a quick list. Most of the coaches I like are in the Eastern Conference, but quick shout out again to Quinn Snyder and to Monty Williams. You know, Monty Williams, they're, yeah. You know, they're doing really great job right now in, in the Western Conference. Um, but most of the coaches I like are in the East. And to piggyback on what you said about Eric Spolstra. That dude is a fucking masterpiece, man. Like, he just knows when to adjust a player's minutes for the most part. And he consistently just gets young guys to go out there and play ball with veterans, right? I also do agree that a coach can do their job so well when they're on the same page with the general manager. Cause oh, yeah, yeah. The relationship has to be on par, man. Like, you have you to give, have. If you keep giving him the players that he can, that can play in his system that has the same work ethic then they'll definitely excel, right? I uh, Yeah, I, I I think that Eric Spolstra is also a chameleon. Think about last season, like in the playoffs. If you think about it, like, dude, they were like, they finished fifth in the regular season. They ended up making the NBA finals. Like, you know, they swept the Pacers in the first round. They beat the Bucks four to one. And then they ended up beating the Celtics in six, you know, and then eventually they lost against the Lakers. But that's still impressive considering their roster because I think they're like their winning percentage right now is like 50%. They're like a balanced team in terms of their wins and losses and their record right now in the standings. But yeah, Eric Spolstra is like really, really good in terms of like playing all the young guys out there. Like he's putting Tyler Hare out there, Duncan Robinson out there. Trusting Um, them, yeah. He's trust. Yeah, he like full definition of trust and he doesn't not want them to go out and play. And, And the fact that he also has Udonis Haslam on the roster still, he's like also, he's also like legitimately a player coach on that squad. Yeah, but you know, kudos to him because you know the superstar effect, right? When a superstar needs a team, how well is that coach? And I mean, I won't even say superstar. I think this this putting LeBron James effect. Every time LeBron James left the team, the coach never lost. Mike Brown didn't last. Um, mm-hmm. David, not David Griffin. Who's that guy? David who, Blatt. Who, Blatt. David Blatt. But Eric Spolstra did last out of all those coaches, right? Ty- Tyron Lue didn't even last in Cleveland, right? And then Luke Walton was even, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think it's really hard sometimes to coach a team when you lose, like, not even like a superstar. He's he's one of the greatest of all time, right? And then Chris Bosh went down with a blood clot, right? Mm-hmm. So for him to to manage to be, to stay relevant with that team just shows how well of a coach he is. Yeah, man. he He's... You know, to continue what you were saying earlier, I honestly do think that once Greg Popovich retires, in terms of greatest coaches to ever coach in the NBA, the torch will be passed on to Eric Spolstra. And he's out of doubt. He's hella young, bro. He's a he's a hella young coach. I know. I know. No, Greg Popovich started coaching when he was fifty. Like most of these coaches, these these coaches usually start like fifty, like like late fifties, bro. This guy started what? I think he started what thirty thirty six, thirty seven, probably. Yeah, man. Shout out to my Filipino dude. He is Filipino. 
Man yeah. looks good. He, 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 but you know what? I thought he was Spanish. He has that Ricky Suave kind of look, you know? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> he does, bro. He does. Yeah, man. Like other coaches too that I like right now in the season or yeah, in this season, definitely you already mentioned it, like Mike Boldenholzer. Like ever since he got with the Bucks for the past couple of seasons, he, you know, he increased the three-point shooting in that squad. Ever since he joined the organization, you know, making them just a top Eastern Conference seed. And his offense, he runs it very patiently through Giannis and Chris Middleton, right? You know, third and fourth options. And now, obviously, Drew Holiday got that extension. He's doing a really good job in Milwaukee. So, kudos to Mike Boldenhoser. I yeah. think he, you can, you should give him kudos too. Well, we should give him kudos too. I think he was a big part of why Giannis stayed. Yeah, 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 for sure. I wouldn't, yeah, 100%, man. Also, Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau in the Knicks. I know we said before in a couple episodes that he excessively plays like, you know, his star's minutes and whatnot, right? But like he's a defensive-minded coach and he just loves, loves to defend the pick and roll. Like, look what he's doing right now with Derrick Rose, RJ Barrett, yeah. Julius Randle, you know what I mean? In the paint. I think you, know, you give him take... a bunch of young guys. He doesn't, like, you can give him all the minutes you want for the young guys, right? That's right, exactly. You can't right? give him, yeah. you can't give him the old guys, you know? That's why I think, uh, he didn't even, I don't think he didn't even do that well in Minnesota. That was, a, that was like a lost season when he was coaching and bringing all the old guys from Chicago Bulls. <laughs> Jimmy yeah, Butler, Rose, uh, Taj Gibson. No, you can't give him old guys. You got to give him the young guys for him to thrive. Yeah, man, but he's good. I like his coaching style because, you know, he he takes he takes away like the drives in the paint and he's also able to control the tempo in the paint. And that's why Julius Randle is executing so well this season, you know? Exactly. And you know what? Tom Thibodeau was an assistant coach, defensive assistant coach for the Boston Celtics when they won that 08 season. Enough said. Yeah. You know? And and Nick Nurse. And Nick Nurse. I love Nick Nurse. I don't care. I obviously the Raptors are pretty shitty this year. And that's probably obviously because of the front court, right? <laughs> I called it. Like, I love my Raptors, but I kind of called it. No, but um, he is. But he is a great coach. Like I don't question him at all. Right? It's just, yeah, he, he's a balanced coach. He's good both on the defensive end and on the offensive end. He actually takes the players' feedback. Oh, he don't give a you fuck I mean? too. You and know, he's he's actually really interesting because he thinks outside of the box in key moments. Like I think now looking at Kyle Lowry's career, this is obviously and probably the best coach he's ever had. I think I think Nick Nurse placed him as a veteran, like in terms of Kyle Lowry being a veteran. Nick Nurse has placed Kyle Lowry in that in that tier where he can do anything he wants. But I'm just gonna relay all my plays to you, and you just go to work. Yeah, you know. And now, obviously, Fred Van Fleet is in that same bubble too. But yeah. Well, you know what? I always I was questioning why they traded Norm, but Gary Trent Jr. I think fits really well with Nick Nurse's style, and I think he's driving even more than Norm. I think it's just Nick Nurse, you know? I think Nick Nurse brings out the best out of players when you give them the opportunity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I Like, I think, like, with Nick Nurse and Gary Trent Jr., I think when Nick Nurse was coaching Norm Powell, Norm Powell is an efficient scorer, is an efficient player, right? He's just efficient, right? But with Gary Trent Jr., I think Nick Nurse sees his, his basketball IQ. Yeah, that's just the main difference. When I see Gary Trent Jr., it's like another carbon copy of uh, Fred, Freddie Van Fleet. In my opinion, mm. like they're they're almost kind of similar, right? I don't, I, I think, but I'm pretty sure Gary Trent Jr. is younger than than Freddie Van Fleet. You know, like there's a lot of great coaches. Just I think it's just the COVID, right? The co- like you, you have so much to like. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Raptors is a shitty squad. I think they are a playoff contending team. 
It's just Pascal Siakam was out for a long time with COVID. Same with Freddie Van Fleet, right? It was, and then you get postpones after postpones, right? So you and you don't really get the the gel. I don't even think how many games they even played as a full healthy squad, right? So I think I feel like this team this year might be a I might consider as a bypass, and uh, let's see let's see when audience comes back and shit, right? And one more coach before we start the episode two would be Doc Rivers. Like Doc is just known for his ability to squeeze productivity out of like every single player on his team. And he plays his players in different schemes and rotations anyways, right? Like look at this season. He he's so good at utilizing in which like, you know, he mixes and matches the five man units on the floor and he shifts his guys in and out of positions that they may or may not be accustomed into playing. So like think of Joel Embiid, you know what I mean? Like Tobias. Tobias Harris, right? Like running the floor. And like running the plays, like traditionally, obviously your guard would do that. And and Ben Simmons is a six ten point guard. Like <laughs> you know, right? and you know what? Some coaches like uh, some coaches. I know Nick Nurse doesn't really do this though, but I know some coaches they they have their trusted eight man rotation, seven man rotation, right? And there's some coaches like Nick Nurse. They go by by who's hot and who's not, right? Who's producing and who's not. Like so, they he I think. Coach, the best coaches are, are the coaches that instilled the young players, not even the young players, but players in general. You better give me your 100% when you're on the floor, even if you play for five minutes. I'm, I, I am I am like observing you in those five minutes to see how hard you play. Maybe next day you play six minutes, right? And I think that's the best way, that's the best way to coach. And then you get chances like that. Look at, look at Chris Boucher. Yeah, 38 points. And that started because, you know, yeah, maybe there's some injuries in there, but Chris, Chris Boucher always goes on the floor and he gives it 100%. And guess what? Now, now look at him. He's getting bare minutes, right? All right. So in this episode, Felix and I will be discussing one NBA coach who has not won an NBA championship, but is still considered one of the greats, at least in our opinion. So Felix, who do you have? All right. So the coach I picked today, what I'll be talking about today, is none other than Mike D'Antoni. If you don't know Mike D'Antoni, he's known for his high-scoring offenses schemes with the Phoenix Suns. He then later coached the New York Knicks, the Lakers, and Houston Rockets. He was named Co- Coach of the Year in 05 and in 2017. So I want to just dive into his the shit he did before becoming a Phoenix Suns head coach. Uh, but here's another fun fact, Bonnie. I don't know if you knew this, but Dan D'Antoni, his brother, was an assistant coach beside him for the Suns and Knicks and the Lakers. That's kind of crazy. I never knew that. I only knew that when I did a little research on him. But as of not right now, Dan Tony is the assistant coach for the Brooklyn Nets or the Brooklyn All-Stars, I like to say. <laughs> but uh, let's go back how he started the game of ball, basketball. He was drafted by the Kansas City's Omaha Kings in the second round in the 1973 NBA draft. Then he played for the, he only played for the Kings for three years, three seasons. Then he played for the Spirit St. Louis in the ABA for one season, and then he went to the Spurs for just, honestly, just two games. He played two games, and then he got offered an opportunity to play overseas, and he took it. But he signed with the Italian team in Milano, and that's where he started his career. And you saw him become one of the all-time leading scorers for the club, and he was voted Italian LBA League's top point guard of all time in 1990. He paced his teams to five Italian league titles, two FIBA European Champion Cup, which is now EuroLeague titles, two Italian Cups, and one FIBA Cora Cup, and one FIBA International Cup. So he has a very stellar accolade for as a player, right? And since he was playing in the Italian League, here's another nice fun fact. If you don't know where Kobe 
was uh, where Kobe grew up. He he grew up in Italy, and he actually grew up watching Mike D'Antoni. Um, this is what he, this is actually a quote from him, and he said, "Growing up, I tried to watch and learn from so many basketball players, all the top ones, and he currently was the top one. He was a player that I admired growing up." Here's another fun fact: D'Antoni's nickname was Il Bafo, which means the mustache. And if you, <laughs> if you never see Mike D'Antoni, the first thing you will see is his fucking mustache. So I think that's his new name now. <laughs> that's his fucking new name. So that's his playing career. And then he transitioned to coaching and he stayed overseas in Milan. So he did coach for Milan and Ben Benetton and together for like a seven year stint. And he, again, he won so many accolades. He, same, same thing where he won the, I think it was a coach of the year. He won some Italian league titles and stuff. And he was, he was growing his resume, which caught eyes from the NBA. And this is at, I think at the time where NBA was trying to transition from European players, like Tony Kukoc came around that time as well. And there, and he saw how he progressed. And then they just said, let me look for coaches. Let me look for players. So he became an assistant coach for Denver Nuggets in 97 to 98. They fired that coach. And, he, and so then he became the head coach during that lockout season. But then he got fired for poor performance. Then he had another stint with Portland. And it was just for a one-year stint. It didn't last long. He went back overseas to continue what he was doing. And then he finally got another shot in 2003 where the Phoenix Suns gave him the head coaching job. And then I think it was just a perfect pair because Dan Tony was paired up with Steve Nash where Steve Nash took his offensive genius to another level, right? And I'm not going to really go into Steve Nash, but Steve Nash led six of the top 12 offensive efficiency scoring team in NBA history. So he was a perfect player in Dan Tony's system. He did a pick and pop play, and it was it was legit perfected by Steve Nash and Amari Stratemeyer, right? And his system worked with Nash, leading at his point guard, because again, Steve Nash he was a pass first point guard. He was looking, he I think he had like a three sixty eye vision. He knew where everyone was on the floor, and he played that seven seconds or less offense, right? Um, I think the biggest flaw with Mike Mike D'Antoni's system was that he didn't give a shit about assist, uh, defense, did not give a shit, right? He said whoever scores the most points is always going to win in the end of the day. And you know what? He's true. Like he ran the second and the ninth best offense in NBA history. Well, every time he ran to the playoffs, it's always defense, defense wins. And most of the Mike D'Antoni's loss always came in the hands of San Antonio Spurs. And I don't have to go into their fucking history, but they are defensive oriented. He only coached that team for five years. Then he got fired. Alva Drenchy took over for the Suns and Mike D'Antoni transitioned to the Knicks. Tried to do the same shit. Didn't work out. He didn't have the right pieces. And this is what I said earlier, where I think it's always about the general manager complimenting the coach with the right pieces, giving him the right pieces for his system to work. And the Knicks never happened. James Dolan is a fucking shitty ass owner. I'm going to blame everything wrong with the Knicks with James Dolan, right? And then from the Knicks, he went to the Lakers. And the Lakers did not even... The Lakers was legit after... They won the back-to-back championship, and then um, Kobe had the ACL tear. They were never the same. They even tried to get Steve Nash on that team, but Steve Nash was way past his prime. Dwight Howard was super, I think he was just coming off a really bad injury. So it was basically playing with a bunch of people past their prime, mixed with a lot of young young players on that team. They didn't work out. So he won for like about a few years, with like a year or so without a coaching job, and then he got the Houston Rockets coaching job. And I think that's he kind of duplicated the same thing he did with the Suns, with the Rockets, because again, Harden 
yeah, he's a shooting guard, but he did play the point for uh, for majority of D'Antoni's system, and he fucking nailed it. He instead of seven seconds or less, they played the fifteen second or less because Harden was known for the ISO, ISO possession all the time. He liked to play a lot of ISO ball. But then guess who came along? Chris Paul, and he did the same thing. Chris Paul, wherever Chris Paul goes, Chris winning goes when it comes to regular seasons, right? And that's it. Like you know, I think everyone knew about Chris Paul and, and James Harden. They had one of the best offensive ran. A system, and they had a shot. They they were up three two against the Warriors, but then Chris Paul pulled his hamstring injury, and it was legit the nail to the coffin. They couldn't seal the deal, and the Warriors obviously beat them in that in in the in the playoffs, and they ended up winning a championship. I think that was the closest Mike D'Antoni ever got to even breathe the NBA Finals because I think he's again he never even made he never even made the the NBA Finals. I'm pretty sure that's going to change when he, when he's coaching the Brooklyn Nets. But yeah, he's probably. Always going to be recognized as a pioneer of changing the pace of basketball offense, because I don't think what we're seeing right now, you have to give credit to Mike D'Antoni, because he was a pioneer. He was ahead of his time, guaranteed he was ahead of his time. But yeah, you know that's just my hot tea with him. I really did wish he won a chip with Steve Nash. I really did. I think he had a, the perfect opportunity. He had the perfect team. Again, you have to. Have defense, at least some sort of defense. You know what I'm saying? But um, what do you think about Mike D'Antoni, Bonnie? Mike D'Antoni, you're, I 100% agree with you in terms of him being a pioneer and him leaving you know, a footprint for NBA coaches out there, for any aspiring basketball coaches for that matter, because he emphasized a lot of up-tempo offenses you know, that relied on heavy dose of three-pointers and playing small ball, right? Like, you're right. He didn't care, and he still doesn't care, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, about defense, right? The way that you put, you know, whoever scores the most points will end up winning the basketball game. Like that shit in, in itself is hilarious to say the least, but he's a really, really good coach and and making sure that the small ball is being utilized on the floor. Like the fact that he had Leandro Barbosa, Rajabel, Steve Nash, Sean right, Chris Marion. Paul, Sean Marion too, he right? Utilized, he utilized Sean Marion like as one of the first players to play small ball. And right. He what? Guess what? He's like just because of him playing that system, he was ahead of his time too. And he's a first, I think in my opinion, he's the first battle Hall of Famer, Sean Marion. Yeah, yeah. Just because of what Mike D'Antoni did for him, right? Exactly, right? Like, and and for the times that they did play defense on that Phoenix Suns run, it was always going to be utilizing the 2-3 zone or the 3-2 zone. Like when the zone defense just came into the league in the, in the mid-2000s. Yeah. So it was just like, oh, sick. Now, if we play, if we run 2-3 zone, right, and we're also playing up-tempo offense cannot stop us because like you have your wings and Sean Marion and then you just have you know Amari Stoudemire in the paint just that guy's fucking exactly right and he's just like chilling in the paint waiting for an alley-oop ready to grab a board it was a done deal and like Mike D'Antoni definitely had the talent you know in his time with with Phoenix and with New York like the fact that he was able to take New York with Melo, J.R. Smith, Steve Novak you know what I mean yeah, Tyson but it Chandler. Never out. It just never worked out, you know. I think, I think, in my opinion, I think, like, yeah, you know, he did have some good sin with New York. I wasn't like dismissing anything, but I just think the way he operates, he needs that point guard. He needs yeah. a, a beautiful point guard who fall in love with his system, right? Steve Nash was a perfect example. Uh, James Harden was pretty good, and then Chris Paul, I can, I think, made it a little bit better. But I don't think nobody even got better than Steve Nash, right? They didn't, they didn't have that in New York, and they definitely didn't have that in, in the Lakers. Obviously, Mike D'Antoni is one of those coaches that missed the mark, you know, in terms of winning a championship. So 
Yeah, man. Okay, so the coach that I chose that is pretty much a coach who has not won an NBA championship, but is still great, is George Carl. I'm not too sure if a lot of people are familiar with George Carl. If you are not, I highly recommend um, looking him up. Uh, doing the research for this episode on him was actually really, really fun because the tenure of what he had and his time in the NBA was both a blessing and a curse and also filled with controversy. So he pretty much started his coaching career in the NBA as an assistant head coach in 1979 with the San Antonio Spurs, and he ended up coaching his last season in 2016. His all-time coaching record, though, throughout regular season games is amazing. It's 1,175 wins and 824 losses, roughly a 58% win-loss percentage. He became the seventh coach in NBA history to hit 1,000 regular season games you know, joining Phil Jackson and Don Nelson and Jerry Sloan, Larry Brown, Rick Adelman, and Pat Riley. Like, think of those names as a whole. And then you just put George Carl in there. Like, it's really random because, you know, Rick Adelman, Pat Riley, Larry yeah. Brown, Jerry Sloan, Don Nelson, like, they're legendary coaches. You know, the majority of them are like in the West. And the fact that, you know, um, him being in the West for the most part in, in Sacramento and in, in near the end of his career and also in Denver. It goes to show that he was a really, really good coach. For his career, though, George Carl has only led two teams below a 50% winning percentage on the season, and he ended up winning a Western Conference championship during the 1995-96 season with the Seattle Supersonics. He led this team to the NBA Finals in 1996, where they ran into Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And, you know, fast forward into his career, he notably coached the Denver Nuggets from 2004 to 2013, where his best season with Denver was in his last year with them, ending in a 57-25 to 25 regular season record, a post-Carmelo squad for perspective there. In terms of his coaching accolades, though, he has won a Coach of the Year in 2013, and he also coached four NBA All-Star games. So not really that impressive as a coach, but considering, you know, he's one of the coaches that has over a thousand wins, it's really cool. Uh, some notable players he coached throughout his career, Chris Mullen, Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Ray Allen, and Carmelo Anthony. Um, in terms of his coaching style, when it came to the research for his coaching style, I was like, yo, this dude gives no fucking fucks. Like, this guy is legit. George Carl just wants to run all the time on makes and misses and just to wear teams down. His offensive schemes is to space out the floor and to uh, penetrate gaps, kick out the corner threes, and to always keep the ball moving. His offensive plays are very aggressive and allowing slashers to drive to the hoop. Um, especially when inbounding the ball, he just wants to make sure his forwards are in position to shoot or to drive to the basket. You know, he was always adamant on screen and rolls and was in favor of in-between brush screens where big men have no idea whether to step out on defense. He was so good in terms of taking that big man mentality on defense to the point where if a big man was on the perimeter, he would make sure that that big man who's usually camping in the paint would be brought up to the perimeter and it was just like you're done from there especially if you have a good ball handler or a good forward in Carmelo Anthony for example right but on defense he implemented a no layup rule making teams shoot tough twos keeping them out of the paint and to close out on perimeter shooters his coaching style is very random though because he acts in the moment and it ultimately worked in his favor you know his best chance though of winning the title was obviously 1996 against the Chicago Bulls 
where they had a stellar regular season record of 64 and 18, but obviously fell short, you know, against MJ in the finals. Now, post his career is when it kind of gets a little bit controversial. So, so after he retires in 2016, he released his book called Furious George, which caused a lot of controversy with former NBA players that he coached, especially Carmelo Anthony and Kenyon Martin. All right, I'm going to spit some facts about what he said about Carmelo and Kenyon Martin. I want to know your reaction after I say these quotes about the two of them, okay? So this is what he said about Carmelo in his book. Carmelo was a true conundrum for me in the six years I had him. He was the best offensive player I have ever coached. He was also a user of people, addicted to the spotlight, and very unhappy when he had to share it. That's number one. Number two, um, in regards to both Melo and Kenyon Martin, George Carl said, Kenyon and Carmelo carried two big burdens, all that money and no father to show them how to act like a man. Shots were fucking fired. The league was going off. Kenyon Martin and Carmelo Anthony were, you know, during all these post-game interviews being saying, hey, did you read Virus George? Like, do you have any opinions of what George Carl said about you in your book? Obviously, they were unhappy, you know what I mean? And obviously, George Carl had a lot to say in this book. And his mentality on coaching is to hold all of his players accountable on the court because this motherfucker did not give two shits. Like, think about if you look back to Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, when they came into the league as rookies, they were being coached by Casey Jones. And Casey Jones at that time was their new head coach. And Casey Jones just had, you know, a championship run with the Celtics in Larry Bird and Robert Parrish and Kevin McHale, right? So they're like, sick, we have, you know, we have a coach that has a legitimate resume and we could probably build this championship culture here in Seattle. But that didn't, you know, that didn't translate into anything. And then comes along George Carl. George Carl literally told Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, yo, we're going to go to fucking work and I'm going to beat your ass if you're not going to go to work. Like he was such a combative, offensive minded coach, like closing out three pointers, especially on the corners, making sure like everybody is accountable for their actions. There was one play where Gary Payton and Sean Kemp went for an alley-oop and Kemp caught it with one hand and he missed it. And it was an off the glass alley-oop by, by GP uh, what does George Carl do? Literally benches them, benches them. It's actually insane. Like he wants to win so bad. His his winning mentality is just as fierce as the way um, he projected himself onto anybody. He just wanted to win so bad. And it goes to show with his record, right? Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, his combative coaching style will just always be remembered as arguably one of the best coaches in NBA history because this guy is a dog. Like, if you think Patrick Beverly's a dog, you think DeMarcus Cousins a dog, if you think, you know, Yaka Pertle's a dog, LOL. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, like, George Carl as a coach was no joke. And obviously, he didn't win a ring. But yeah, man, that's my take on George Carl. Uh, what do you think about that, man? Well, you know what? That's funny you said DeMarcus Cousins because he did coach Sacramento Kings with DeMarcus Cousins on it, right? I don't know mm -hmm. there's a lot of controversial there too, right? I don't think they can even stand each other. Yeah, man. They're, they're, it's because it's his coaching style. Like, Yeah, I just don't you know, think... He, like he I was just, so into his players. He was just like, I'm going to make sure you're great, but it's going to be my way. I run this fucking show. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I think like that, you know, like in every era, you have a different type of... Like not that people have a different... Everyone always going to have a different personality, but what's tolerable. Mm -hmm. I feel like 
obviously we see as the era keeps going, the era is getting more softer and softer in terms of, I guess, everything NBA, right? So the way George Carl did his shit in the 90s is acceptable in the 90s, right? What he said about Melo and Martin, that the shit what he said about the dad, that was way over the line, bro. Yeah, man, it was way like, over was the like, line. That was like, it yeah, was you wild, didn't give yo. No shits, bro. Yeah, man. But you know what? And you know, there's some shit he might be right. Like, I, I'm not when he said, "But like, oh, how Melo wants a spotlight." Like, I'm not, I'm not saying he didn't, but same time, it's just his word choice. His word choice way, yeah. when he said "user of people" that Melo was a user of people. They see that. Like, I was about to get to that. That's. I was like, what? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Bro, I don't like. I don't think. Well, obviously, I can't. I can't attest to anything because I, I wasn't there. We don't know. You know what we, I mean? don't, we don't know. We, we don't know, we, we don't know like what happened in that locker room. But I think it goes to show that even though George Carl ha- like has these outrageous opinions, I guess, for star players, mm-hmm. he makes sure that they're accountable and he brings out the best in them. Because I think well, that's see, one. And and you know, coaching philosophies throughout the years have been have always been different with certain stars. And you know what? And the shit he did with like benching GP and and Sean Camp, I think that helped him. In my opinion, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it just it just helps. Look, look at them, right? And now they know, no matter what, it doesn't matter how big of a lead you have or or how small of a lead you have. Don't fuck around like that, right? It's all about winning. You gotta do that shit in the playoffs. You can't do shit in the finals, right? And boom, they went to the finals, right? Yeah, but like I they never... ended they ended with sixty four and eighteen. Sixty four. hundred percent. Like, bro, George Carl. I'm always gonna know him know him more for coaching Denver. Because like you say, like you said, you say his best season was with uh, post Melo. Like again, like I, I'm not even surprised because you know what Denver did really get a really great package for Melo. Like if you really look back at it, he had a got like that Danilo Gallinari on there and all, and all those cats from New York. Yeah, who's Ty actually, ex- yeah, they were they were actually doing really well in New York with Amari Stronomar before they came here. They came to Denver. But the only thing I always gonna remember, I think his best best season overall will be when he went to the twenty ten finals where uh he faced Kobe and they were like they lost in six games. And that's probably another closest shot he had. Yeah. Winning the title. Um, I don't George Carl was just like I Phil Jackson was kinda like that. He didn't give no fucks. He he yeah. instilled, he talked, he talked like that. I'm pretty sure Pat Riley was like that. I'm pretty sure Jerry Sloan was like that. Because these are the coaches that all actually all those coaches that won a thousand games, these are like like these old heads, bro. They 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 didn't give no fucks. They'll give you a counter They don't give a crap if you're superstars or not. But like in this, like this is gonna go back to what I said earlier when we started the podcast, this episode, is that some coaches they care about the superstar treatment and some coaches don't give a shit. Right? And I prefer the coaches who don't give a shit about superstar treatment because then you're gonna get the best out of everyone on that squad. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to end off our uh, coaches episode, I think now in the regular season, it made me have an understanding of what Frank Vogel is to LeBron James. And what is he to him? Because with the whole superstar treatment, right? Frank Vogel, although he's you know he's been he's been given the best of the best players on his squad, especially in LeBron James. It shows that he's able to 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 take a step back. But the thing is, he always in this. I don't know if you know this about Frank Vogel, but in film sessions, he'll input dad jokes, and in, in, <laughs> or like or like film. He'll in film sessions, he'll input dad jokes, or he'll find like actual like 
you know, Hollywood movies and find a joke in them and input them in reviewing plays when they're in, when they're doing their film session. And then he relates that to their squad. Like, I'm not quite sure what the example was because I was reading it in a, in a different article about Frank Vogel. But see, like in terms of different coaching philosophies, you play off of people's mentality and players mentalities. Like think of Phil Jackson. Right. And like, you know, when you watched The Last Dance of like or even when Shaq keeps, keeps on saying that when when Phil coached the Lakers, you know, he would light up some sage, which which smelled like weed to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like shit like that. Like coaches have a certain way to get to to anybody, you know, like they get to know you before they really get to know you. Like they'll scout out your game. They'll see how you present yourself in press conferences, what you do off the court. And that really reflects on the entire squad as a whole, right? No, it's a hundred percent like you, bro. You know, like boyfriend, girlfriend, you're dating your coach. You know, you're having a love. Yeah, you, you got to be coach. up to date. Really you got to call them, text yeah. them, let them know what's going on, what you're cooking for dinner, where you took a shit. Like if uh, anything, li- literally anything, because those types of relationships, player and coach relationships, will sustain that player and also that coach's tenure in the league for a very long time. Their longevity would be. I mean, look at Greg Pop, for example, right? The fact that he's now transcending generations from like the early 2000s with Timmy and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. And then now he's got, he's got Murray, he's got White, he's got DeRozan. He's got all... Lon, he, Lonnie he's got, Walker. Right, Lonnie Walker, right? Like yeah, he's got... Know. he's he's People are saying he's probably on his last legs in terms of coaching. But I think he'll, he'll, he'll like, you know, find a way to still affect and uh and influence coaches and players to also become coaches you know i'm actually pretty sad that tim duncan is not coaching this year i am um, right i am I'm, too yeah i'm pretty sad too because i remember him yeah. saying like yo you know i coached you and now it's your turn like you gotta owe me you owe me a favor and you know? now, yo, i don't know where he glowed up like i don't know where the man glowed up after retirement <laughs> right yeah like, tim duncan bro, yeah man's walking like a sweeter man fam like holy <laughs> yeah man alright so we're gonna end off this episode with a quick game it's a quick game where Felix is gonna give me the name of any NBA team and I am going to pretty much relate to him and say the first name I can think of throughout NBA history in regards to that NBA team sounds good to me bro you ready yeah man count me down three Two, one, Indiana Pacers. Ooh, Reggie Miller. Sacramento Kings. Chris Webber. Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki. Toronto Raptors. Vince Carter. Houston Rockets. Ooh, Hakeem Olajuwon. Oh, Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> okay, this trick question. Are you including New Jersey Nets? Yeah, yeah. Like New Jersey, Brooklyn together. Okay, Jason Kidd. Oh, nice one. Timberwolves. KG, Kevin Garnett. Hornets. Hornets. Uh, Chris Paul. Pistons. Pistons, Isaiah Thomas. Chris Paul, wow, that was a good one. Yeah, New Orleans Hornets. No, Charter Hornets. Charter Bobcats, Charter Hornets. Oh, if it's the Bobcats, if it's the Bobcats, then Adam Morrison. Adam Morrison, the GOATs, bro. The GOATs. He has two rings to his name. Don't disrespect. Or even Gerald Wallace. 
Oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> that guy legit was an impediment of fucking Popcats. <laughs> um, let's go with Utah Jazz. Ooh. John Stockton. Knicks. The Knicks. Walt Frazier. The Wizards. The Wizards. Wes Unseld. All right. Last one. Portland Trailblazers. Bill Walton. Oh, of course. Fucking of course. <laughs> any, any, anytime you, 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 anything's connected to that guy, you're going to slide it in. I really yeah, know. man. I love Bill Walton, yo. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Full Court Press. And we'll catch you in the next one. Yes, sir.